Greetings, everyone. I trust you are well. God is able. Living unafraid is our series for the next three weeks as we prepare for Pentecost. As I reflect on the current state of affairs and the implications for us as individuals and for us as a church, I was drawn to that beautiful passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let me read it for us. It's in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 20 and 21. It says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to take these two verses and look at it over the next three weeks, considering the situation we are in and to help us prepare our hearts for Pentecost. I will look at the first few words of this verse, now to him, and I've asked Sean to look at the middle part of this verse uh, next week, and then the week after, uh, Johan will do the last part of this verse. I've been hearing from many of you, and thank you so much for uh, your emails. It's been great hearing from you. Please keep the emails coming. Uh, it's a joy to me to read them, and I love responding to you, so keep them coming. Reading some of your emails, I know that for many, your personal situation has become very difficult. And you are wondering about your circumstances. What's going to happen in my life now? What's going to happen, for example, to my summer holiday? Uh, or worrying about this and that dilemma that you're facing in your life. And you might be feeling that God might be able, you know, to keep the stars in the sky, the earth tilted on its axis, and the heavens hung in glorious array. But can he do this? Can he really do something about my situation, our situation that we find ourselves in? Can he really do something? Like you, my friends, I've had my fair share of situations that have been really difficult to face, situations that have caught me off guard and let me tell you honestly they've carved out a deep foothold where doubt could settle in but I've learned that God loves me far too much to keep me from confronting and facing these situations because if I didn't turn to face these things I'd never come face to face with the one who loves me like no one else the fact is, I have never had much trouble uh, believing in the power of God, you know, when it's theoretical. When all that the action of faith required of me was saying, Amen, during a great sermon in church on a Sunday. As long as the problem was someone else's, hey, I could easily believe that God has unmatched ability and can do anything. <laughs> But in the midst of these various struggles and challenges that come together to threaten my sense of security, stability, and balance, I have found my worst fears confirmed. I'm insufficient, I'm outmatched, and I'm incapable of fixing everything in my life. Sometimes I don't know how I'm going to make it through that particular day. 
But I've also learned something else, something that has changed my entire life. And I want you to hang on to these three words. God is able. As I've reflected on this life situation that I find myself in, that we find ourselves in, I was reminded actually of so many moments in my life in the past. And one particular uh, situation comes to mind. And it was quite a scary and life-threatening situation that I was in some years ago. Let me give you the condensed version. As part of my work as a minister of the Methodist Church of Southern Africa, I was some years ago asked to go to an informal settlement or a township, might be a word that some of you are familiar with, uh, where there had been violent and destructive rioting over uh, inhumane living conditions, and rightly so. I went with some colleagues to meet with the community leaders and to see Uh, to enter into discussions and to see what the church could possibly do to help. And as I drove down this one particular street, I drove down the street and it was littered with burning tires and felt suddenly like I was surrounded by a mob. And then they started throwing stones at me. Incredibly, incredibly scary. I quickly reversed, did a U-turn, raced down uh, another street uh, where eventually, by God's grace, I found the community center. I saw some of my other colleagues there and uh, ran into the building, uh, met with the community leaders, my colleagues. uh, We had our meeting. We prayed together uh, only to find a large angry crowd had gathered outside the community center, uh, picking up stones, beginning to throw stones, burning tires, uh, setting things alight. And let me tell you, I was filled with immense fear. Uh, We prayed, and let me tell you, I prayed like I never prayed before. Then my bishop, all of a sudden, uh, went outside to go and speak to this crowd, and God showed up in that now moment in a powerful way. The crowd settled down, dispersed, and we could all leave, and I made sure that I got out of there with great speed and with a great hurry. Uh, Of course, this is a very condensed version of the story, but the point is this. That time and time again, God has proven very plainly to me that he is not held down by what holds us down, held back by what holds us back. He has bowled me over by his inclination to do the unthinkable both in my own life and in the lives of others. Really, the point is this. God is able And because he is able and because he is love, our hearts are completely secure in every single situation, no matter how dangerous, desperate, time sensitive it might be. And sometimes his best work actually is not what he does for us, but what he does in us in those situations. Friends, whenever we face difficult situations and fear is knocking at our door, I think the best remedy is to focus on who God is, was, and will forever be. And these two verses that I've read for us in Ephesians 3 reminds us of the nature and the character and the glory of God so that we might live unafraid with courage and hope, because we remember and we know God is able. So today, I will focus on just those first three words in verse 20. Now to him. 
Some scholars consider the book of Ephesians to be the pinnacle of Paul's writings. I encourage you, go and read it for yourself and see if you can't hear Paul grasping and lunging for just the right words. He nearly runs out of breath, you feel, trying to portray the greatness and the grandeur of God, the vast scope of his wondrous acts, the hugeness of his love and the wealth of our inheritance in Christ. Yet as beautiful as the wording is in in the book of Ephesians, as much spiritual ground as he covers, you still get that sneaking impression that human language simply does not have the descriptors for some of what Paul is wanting to say concerning the nature and character of God. Somewhere in there, he awakens us from being dead in our sin, strangers, separated, excluded, aliens, to being made alive together with Christ, having the grace of God lavished on us for no other reason than the kind intention of His will. He tells us of a divine love that not only runs the breadth uh, breadth and length and height and depth of our wildest imagination, but actually uh, makes it possible for us to be filled up to the fullness of God. Paul uses extravagant language to describe God's extravagant power and love. These were the best words that Paul could find to complete his enormous prayer, praying that our hearts would be thoroughly enlightened, that we would somehow grasp the riches of God's mercy and the grand hope of his calling, that we would see everything that's been made available to us in Christ, everything we've been given access to, But he's just warming up because right there in the middle of the stunning recounting of God's glory and grace, Paul hits us with one sentence so powerful, it's almost too much to bear. And it is chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 that I read for us earlier. Let me just read that verse for us again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, these two verses is a device known in ancient literature as a doxology, a majestic declaration of praise to God an outpouring of divine honor, sort of a, um, a burst of worship that puts an exclamation point at the end of all this breathtaking stuff that Paul's been talking about up until now. It's a, it's a crescendo, crashing symbols, the big moment, the cherry on top. Once you hear these two verses, the only thing left to do really is just worship and go home. Now, no matter what language you hear it in or translation you read it in, the message is unmistakably this that we gather from these two verses. Our God is able. And my friends, when you and I, when we start viewing whatever may be worrying us against the backdrop of 
this one whose, whose plans and purposes have been set in place for eons, whose authority outranks every power structure known to man, or even to the entire spiritual underworld, uh, spiritual underworld, whose promises are ground in deeper than oil stains on a pair of pants, well, our situation suddenly don't sound quite so scary anymore. Why? Because God is able. Let's look at, let's focus on those first three words in these two verses. Now to him. Now. The reason you and I need to concentrate so hard on this first small little word well, friends, it's because our thoughts are usually all over the place. What if? When? What about? What if? What next? Where to? Why not? But if you and I can just quieten down for a second, give our runaway minds a short break, we may just hear God leaving us with one simple idea to focus on. Now. Now, get, get everything out of your head except now. And I understand that the current conditions in your life may not be your favorite thing to dwell on right now. You may have become very adept at concentrating on later, distracting yourself with uh, the possibilities of the future, daydreaming your life away sometimes, overwhelmed trying to figure out solutions to your present reality. Well, or maybe actually you aren't even overwhelmed at all, more like underwhelmed your current situation, bored with the sameness and the mundaneness of a life that you thought would be filled with so much more, with so much more adventure, the predictability, the pointlessness. Ugh. You so desperately want a change or at least a little excitement along the way. Maybe your contributions are being overlooked at work or at church or at home. And you're craving the opportunity to put your best gifts to work. To show that you are capable, that you can. To be involved in the kind of things that you feel like you were placed on this earth to do. Well, no matter your reality, there is a time to start connecting your situation, your current situation, your life, with the reality of God's infinite and indescribable ability. And what this verse tells us is that that time is now, now, now to him. Now is the link between the impossible and the possible, the unimaginable and the divinely doable. In light of all that other stuff God has already accomplished, a whole uh, eternity's worth of wisdom and planning of insurmountable odds and the ultimate victory of Easter, the moment is now that God wants you to live unafraid with courage and hope regarding your now situation. Is your now piled high with bills you don't know how you're going to pay? 
Is your now littered with doubts about whether your marriage will survive until your next anniversary? Is your now polluted by a particular sin or habit? A pattern that you absolutely hate about yourself but you just can't break free of? Or is it just a season marked by humdrum rhythm of more normalcy than you ever really wanted? This is how many, I think, of us are feeling right now during this time of lockdown. Whatever it is, this is when God's word works in real time in space, right smack bang in the middle of your now reality. Oddly, however, when we tend to disconnect the two, our current reality, our now, and God's ability, that's when fear and discouragement settles in. Well, Paul, in writing this, wanted us to bridge that gap, to bring an end to this uh, separation anxiety that leaves us feeling discouraged and overwhelmed, unseen and uncared for, connecting our current reality with God's ability. Now, now to Him. So he purposefully, strategically, intentionally used a tiny little word whose purpose in the Greek language was to connect what he had already previously said in chapters 1, 2, and 3 with what he was about to say in verses 20 and 21 and later on in the book. Now, let me give us a little bit of history and context uh, to the book of Ephesians to help us understand what Paul is up to in writing these verses so that we really can understand what he's trying to do. And I think it will be insightful and it will help us trying to understand uh, our situation. The believers in Ephesus would read Paul's letter or they would hear it read to them. Then they would pass it along to others, perhaps even to churches in neighboring cities. And the people who were then first exposed to these verses, to, these, to this letter, they also had their own now circumstance to contend with. And Paul took the time to spell it out for them very clearly. They were being asked to do something, to believe something, to support something that everyone thought impossible. As impossible as me watching, let's say, uh, say yes to the dress marathon on TV. As impossible as solving the Middle East peace crisis with a text message. I mean, I'm talking impossible. The Apostle Paul told them that Jews and Gentiles, age-old enemies in every conceivable way, were no longer enemies but instead brothers and sisters by virtue of the gospel. They had been reconciled to God. They had received uh, uh, reconciliation by the Messiah's sacrifice, but now they'd also been reconciled to one another. And they'd in actual fact become, Paul says, a third race, if you will, not Jew-Gentile, but the body of Christ. And their unity as believers was designed to show uh, the world that if God could do this, then most certainly God can do anything. Uh, anything. If he could bring Jew and Gentile together, well, then God can do anything. 
I mean, they hated the ground that the other walked on, Jews and Gentile. Their, their aims and desires were mutually exclusive by a country mile until Jesus. Jesus changed everything. He still changes everything. God is able. Now is what Paul was trying to say to him. Look what God has done. He has brought you together now. He wasn't appealing for peace, but he was proclaiming peace. It was done. The only thing left was for these people to begin to accept the situation by faith uh, that God had already accomplished. That they could actually apply, not because of their power, but because of his power. He wanted them to bring all of their struggles and circumstances to God's power, then stand back to see what God could do. And God did it. And if God was able to do that, the ultimate impossibility in most of their minds at that time, well, then God could most certainly do anything, that there would be nothing that God could not do. In fact, they said, is there then nothing that God cannot do? Part of the answer to that question they ask is condensed into that little three-letter connector word that holds all your heartache, all your sleepless nights, your fear, your frustration, your pain, your despondency, your fatigue, your shame, your impossibilities. Paul wanted the early Christians to make that connection now. And, God, and Paul wants us to make that connection now. God is able now to do something about your now situation, the situation you're facing now. Make that connection, Paul says. Now unto him, because of who he is and what he has accomplished on the cross, I can live now unafraid with courage and hope. Now, today, this moment. But there's more. We must remember as we look at the book of Ephesians that Paul wasn't sitting in a church or a synagogue or on holiday somewhere when he wrote this doxology about the glory of God. No, he penned these words of worship while sitting on a cold floor, eating probably cold food, living in the maddening reality of Roman confinement. He was under house arrest, guards at his door, preventing his escape. This is not just any old doxology. This is a locked up, uh, in my house doxology, a prison doxology, a locked down doxology. Paul was locked up in his home when he wrote this about the glory of God, that God can do something about your situation now. His now was bleak and dismal. And yet somehow a doxology bubbled up within his spirit uh, uh, that he was unable to contain, burst forth onto the pages, uh, writing it down on that parchment paper. Paul experienced and exclaimed the ability of God amid his limited mobility, the greatness of God amid his tightly trapped existence, the awesome presence of God amid his frustrating lack of freedom. What kind of a believer do you have to be to voice such a doxology from a space of confinement, from a space of being locked down?
the kind who knows that timing is everything. The kind who draws the connection between their current circumstances and the power of God, the, pay, the way Paul chose to do it. The kind who knows that if God has allowed it now, he must have plans to display his glory and power now. The kind of man or woman who knows that right now is the time God can act on their behalf. The same kind that you have the potential to be right now, even in your impossible circumstance. As soon as you connect your current circumstances to your God, He raises a banner of hope in your heart and in your mind. As soon as you believe he can do this, that God is able now, something called abundant life actually starts showing up in your life right in the middle of this difficult situation. And it all starts when you make the connection. Now is the time to know that God is able to connect your current reality with God's present ability now. But in order to do that, we must change our perspective from our ability to God's ability. Now unto Him and be reminded of who God was, is and forever will be. To shift our perspective from me to God. God is able. Make the connection now. God bless you. Amen.